Hi everyone and welcome to the Spencer Lodge podcast. I'm your host Spencer Lodge and it's my job to make the time you're about to give me as valuable as possible. My job here is to share content I've made across all of my endeavors and ventures as an entrepreneur and bring you stories, lessons and insights from my conversations with some great achievers in business and personal development. Essentially kind of like finding people that both you and I would enjoy listening to that have got some value to bring that can help us with their knowledge Uh, develop our businesses better. I'm an author, CEO of the Blue Sky Thinking Group here in Dubai, and I'm really passionate about being a content creator. Uh, You know, I'm also on my own creative journey, so with so much going on, this show is a way for me to funnel out value from all the work my team and I are doing so we can share it with our audience online and, you know, in an easy audio format, this whole podcast. For those that attend my seminars and follow me on social media, this is just some extra material for you to get stuck into in your own journey in business, sales, personal development, whatever it is that you're working on right now and improving your life. In today's episode, oh, I'm so excited about this. I'm going to be sharing an interview that I did with the incredible Heather Wild. We recorded it here in Dubai early last year. Heather is the CTO of a number of different companies, the Chief Technology Officer of a number of different companies, but by gosh, that's just the start. Heather trained at NASA to be an astronaut. She's done numerous TED Talks. She speaks all over the world. She took Evernote, which you may remember the app that was on your phone, the little green elephant app. She took Evernote from 5,000 users to 100 million users. So we're talking about somebody that clearly knows her subject. Whenever I see Heather, I just sit there with my jaw open just listening to what she's got to say because she really is really impressive. The interview lasts around about, I think, 45 minutes. And I really enjoyed it because that, that kind of knowledge you get from speaking to somebody that is so smart in areas that you're not that kind of real deep knowledge is really valuable Um, and specifically we get into using me as a guinea pig actually in this so listen out for this and make some notes I'd say when what we do is we take me as the example and she just she takes me my business and shows me with technology about the things that I'm not thinking about or haven't thought about and how I could do even better with my companies just by knowing the things that she knows and so it was really really lots of incredible takeaways that I got from it Um, listen out for the the perfect client and you know what coffee he drinks at Starbucks I'll just leave that with you to think about for a minute if you've enjoyed uh, several of these podcasts or if it's your first one okay i'd really love you to rate the show okay five star rating on apple podcast i would love if you do that um or if you could leave a comment in soundcloud i'm always keen to make the show as good as possible as i can for you so if you want to leave a comment i'd be very 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 happy that you do so so if you're ready to get stuck in uh, i really hope you enjoy my interview with heather wild remember at the end of the end of the interview i'll be back to tell you more about the interview how it took place and what i've learned and applied and really in my business since i first met her and to share yeah share a few extra notes with you so without further ado let's listen up to the amazing the incredible the awesome heather wild So tell me, what's your first impression of Dubai? You're from Las Vegas, so yes. is, it, is it Las Vegas by the sea? Uh, yes, so y- we have the heat without humidity, and you guys have the heat and humidity. So, uh, And also, uh, the food is excellent here. The, the buildings are beautiful. I saw a, 
a building here that's shaped like a lotus flower, I think it is. And uh, I mean, just architecture's amazing, so. And the people are just so friendly. So I, I really, if you haven't been to Dubai, you definitely need to come over here. Okay, so what similarities do you think there are to Vegas here? Because we get this quite a lot. People are like, oh, it's the Vegas of the Middle East. But we have no gambling, okay, which Vegas is built around generally have a very different culture over here. Mm -hmm. Do you see any similarities at all or do you just think it's because of the landscape and nothing more? Oh no, absolutely. So a uh, perfect example, I was just in the uh, um, elevator of my hotel and some, some people came in covered in the traditional dress mm -hmm. and uh, it was a man and a woman and the, the man just look over at me and, and started speaking to me and I was like, oh, that's interesting. You can, And it just started speaking to me just very friendly and, and uh, said, uh, so where are you from? How are you doing? Uh, and just whereas just in other cities that I've been to, like in California, in New York, in, in San Francisco, Japan, people are very reserved. They'll keep to themselves. But here, just immediately friendly, start talking. And, and it seems like everybody's just open and, and happy to talk. Uh, I think some people fear this whole kind of um, a buyer and yeah. candle, you know, the white and the black, and they're like, you know, yeah. Yeah, are these people approachable or are they not? Yeah. Um, you'll find that, that most of them have been educated either in the States or in the UK, yeah. but it, that fear factor does exist. You know, when I was first here, same thing, it was like, well, can I approach? Can I talk yeah. to them? Or, or, or should? Yeah. And then when they start talking to you, you're like, oh, right, okay, you're really, you're really cool. <laughs> okay, good. Now, I've got to know you over recent times and we share a few things in common about business and recently we were at an event in Santa Monica mm -hmm. and at that event in Santa Monica what actually happened is that, that we, Heather and I both spoke at that event and we were talking to essentially people that describe themselves as influencers so they're kind of like budding entrepreneurs through, through an online media marketplace and we both kind of agree on a few matters relating to that. And this is an interesting thing that I want to talk to you about. I see lots of people that think they're going to build a business mm -hmm. online through running some form of social media strategy and they're going to find their fortune that way. Mm -hmm. Yet in most cases I look at them and I'm like still wondering what on earth the actual business is. Mm -hmm. We talked about this briefly when we were at the event about a couple of people's businesses. You know, we won't mention anything, but we were like, where's the business there? That's not going to work. You know, surely that can't work. Why do you think people nowadays are under this illusion that building up this profile, being a blogger, being a vlogger, you know, uh, and getting followers and getting likes and getting impressions is going to lead to some form of income somehow, some way? I blame Kim Kardashian. Okay. It's, well, but I think it's because what people see of Kim Kardashian is, oh, she's, uh, they think that she's made money because she posts online, in, on Instagram, on Twitter, on whatever. But what they're missing is the fact that she's a business machine. And she's been doing that for 15 years now. But, I mean, it's a very calculated business and she has, there, there's a lot of work that goes into her media empire. Whereas these people think that, oh, if I just write a website about the things that I'm observing every day, like Seinfeld, then uh, someday people are going to come. Mm -hmm. Well, again, to use the Seinfeld example, he sat down one day, looked at a calendar, and said, in X number of days, I want to get to this point. And like, so here's where I want to go. This is the target of exactly what I want to do. And what do I need to get there? So 
their means to an end is, like, so the people that we that start these blogs don't have an end game. They just have an idea and they're starting to execute on something, but it's to no end. And the people that are successful are the ones that come up with an outcome that they're trying to reach. And then they can keep, when they reach that outcome, then they come up with another outcome. And they come up with another outcome. And they keep going. Do you think that a lot of them just don't have a product? Whether that be themselves, really, <laughs> or, or actually a product they sell, a, you know, a tangible product. Do you think a lot of them just don't have a product? So I think that they may not know what their product is. So it's not that they don't have a product, it's that they haven't defined it properly. Mm -hmm. Because I think everybody can find something that of value to someone else. Like there, I, I truly do believe that everyone has something somewhere in them, like has some skill, has some knowledge, has something that is valuable to someone else. But figuring out what that is, is that's what the difference between becoming a unicorn and and just being normal. What I'm going to do is something I wouldn't normally do, okay? So this will be a first for all of you. I'm going to use me as a case study okay. right now. Is that okay with you? Yeah. Okay, so she doesn't know about this. <laughs> but I think it, it might be a good idea for you because I, I actually was with some people, some friends of mine today that I haven't seen for a while, and one of them said to me, I've seen all of your videos online and they're really good, but how are you making money? And I thought it was a really interesting question. Because, and, and then I spoke to somebody else and I said, um, that works for an, a, a big insurance company. And I spoke to that person and I'm like, um, would you like to talk to me about how I can help you? He said, well, I've heard you do some videos online. I've watched a couple of them. They're really interesting, but I don't really know what you do. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay. And this person knows of me in my previous life. Mm -hmm. Take me as an example, all right? I have an online sales training university, which you know. Mm -hmm. you know there are 400 videos. There is tests and everything else in there. That's a product that I have. And that product I sell to individuals and I sell it to corporates. Mm -hmm. All of my leads, so all of the business generation from my corporates comes to me. Mm -hmm. And the, everybody from a corporate perspective contacts me and says, I've seen your stuff online, I'd like to talk to you about how you might be able to help us. Mm -hmm. And that's great. Retail clients, the process that we use to generate sales with retail clients is ClickFunnels. So let's, let's assume I've just started that journey and I need to get data mm -hmm. because I need to market to these people. Okay. I need to get some data. What do I do? So first I'd be wanting to know, have you, I mean, you, you said that you're, you have two different types of customers there and that, that's where it's a red flag for me in the beginning. Okay. Because you're selling a product to one group but your leads you're trying to capture are from another group entirely. So are your... I sell to both groups. You, okay, you're selling to both groups. So can you define better for me who your ultimate customer that you're trying to reach is? I have the difference of what I offer. So the university alone, essentially those 400 videos that people can buy, that university is marketing as a university to individual retail clients. Mm -hmm. The corporate training aspect, which includes the- Hold up, please. Okay. <laughs> this, is, this is important. You know? This uh, is really important because you're now taking me. I'm the example, yes. okay? 
Individual retail client meaning what? An individual person buying that them, themselves for their own study and for their own personal uh, professional development. So what does this person look like to you? Okay, so what we've learned is that they're between the age of 25 and 32, mm -hmm. or they're between the age of 50 and 55. And that is actually two very different ways to advertise there. Okay. So the... But let's park the 50 to 55 year olds right okay. now. And let's say I've got a 25 to 32, I know, uh, I've kind of come out of university. What I've learned is they've come out of university and they know everything. Okay. They don't. They can't be told. They can't be taught anything. They can't be told anything. They think their parents are stupid. They kind of. They, they come out of uni and they're smart. They go into the workplace and two or three years into the, their working environment, they realise they're not quite as smart as maybe that they, they should be, or they mm -hmm. don't necessarily have all the skills they need to really accelerate their income. Mm -hmm. So they want to learn more, and because they've been to university or because they've studied, they've, they've still got an academic mindset. Mm -hmm. So they kind of look forward to learning, and those types of people I find are buying. Okay. If I market to people that are the age of 45 and over, oh, sorry, 35 and over, generally they've been around the block a few times and there's not much you can teach them. Yes. So to me, there's little point marketing to those people. Now, for the millennial market, which is the, the 25 to 35 that you were talking about, uh, you also run the risk of they have very little disposable income. So the... Uh, the value proposition that you, you have to give them for your educational software, um, your, your tutorials, um, has to be um, better than what else, what everything else is out there. It ha you have to be hitting their level of significance. So you basically have to be saying to them that you are coming on this site because you want to be gaining back the money that you just blew on university that you feel that you're never going to get back because you just spent $200,000 on, on college and you're now making $35,000 a year and there's no end in sight to that. So you give me whatever money and I guarantee you that you're going to be making a lot of money soon. So that's the kind of person that, that's the way that you need to advertise to that person and if you're not doing that now, then you need to be switching up your messaging because that's the only way that you're going to be capturing people. Okay. How do I find those people? How do you find them? So now that also goes down into further defining the user personas. And that's what we're talking about right now. So a thing called user personas, uh, defining the demographic of the people that you're trying to advertise to. So your, your target market is made up of people from 25 to 35 for this particular product. So who does that person look like? What do they do during the day? So it's a 25 to 35 year old college graduate that's newly in the workforce that is in a white collar type of position mm -hmm. that is, has something that where they could go into a promotable career or something that, like, even if they're in a dead-end job where they are, they could go somewhere else. So you know that, that people that have those type of jobs have things like gym memberships because they care about how they look. They have certain types of cars, if they're in, uh, or if they're in cities, they're um, riding subways to work. They tend to be Uber, driver, I mean, Uber um, users um, rather than Lyft because they care about their the perception of, of what they're doing. Wow. So you, you think that the, a different type of person is using Uber over Lyft? Yes. No. Yes. I, I didn't even think about that. Yes. Okay. 
So you that just takes it to a whole other dimension for me when you think about it. I, don't, I wouldn't even think to say, you know, I understand that they're usually using, they're using ride, uh, ride service, you know, a taxi service. Yeah. I understand that the, they go to the gym. That makes sense. Yes. But the fact that they would just Uber over Lyft to, to break it down that much. And that's what you need to do. Okay. You actually have to do the personas and figure out, and when you do that, the further down you go, when you start to think about, okay, so this is the type of person, okay, th what do you do in the morning if you're this type of person? You wake up, the first thing you do is you turn on the news. What channel are you looking at? Are you looking at Fox News, BBC World? This person is going to be looking at that TV show. So if you're going to be looking at a certain channel, you know where you could buy ads if you choose to go that way. Um, you know what type of website news they're reading. You also can then go, like, are they the type of person to go to Starbucks or some other kind of coffee place? So, like, is this the, like, because these 25 to 35-year-olds, they drink a lot of coffee. So you, you can actually then buy ads in the apps for the coffee places. Um, and they're likely also to be working in co-working places because they're probably working at a startup. So... Um, because they want to better themselves to become an entrepreneur. So you actually get defined in the user persona so well that you know this person and then you want to give them a name. You want to give them a name so that it becomes real to you so that when you're, you're talking about this, this person, then you know that Chris, your person, this person that you're advertising to is real, is a real person that is waking up every morning, turning on BBC News, going to Starbucks, getting in his Uber, and going to his, his WeWork office. That's amazing, isn't it, when you think about it? So then you create this avatar, essentially this avatar, this person, this perfect client. Mm -hmm. Okay, now I've got that. Now. Okay, so we've sat and done that. You've sat and consulted with me, and you're like, right, Spencer, this is what you're looking for. So now you know right now you can go to WeWork, and, get, and you can offer workshops there. You can go to... Um, you do yeah, you can go to Udemy and, and you can offer workshops on there because you know that there's a partnership that they have. You can, you can find the sites that these guys, that Chris is on every day. You can find the forums that they're on. You can find the Facebook groups that they're in because like, he has an actual path because he's a real person. And it's not just taking a guess based on the, the, the Facebook um, metrics that you're getting back on the, the Google Analytics from your website. Um, there's, like he's a real person out on the web in the world. You can you can buy ads in Ubers now. So, and like he listens to the cricket matches just like any other person. So you can even buy radio ads for, like because 25 to 35. What's he doing? So for me to market to my ideal client, it then means I don't have to chase after likes. Correct. I don't have to chase after impressions. I don't have to chase after followers. Those are vanity metrics. They don't mean anything. Okay, well let's just talk about that for a minute. Because a lot of people put a lot of significance on the amount of social media followers they have. Then some people will argue, I don't have so many followers, but I have a very high engagement level. Mm -hmm. So if I post something on Instagram, I get a lot of people like and I get a lot of people comment as a percentage of the people that follow me. This doesn't matter if you can find your Chris. Correct. And market to your Chris. Correct. It, all of that's irrelevant. So, but if Chris sees that you don't have any followers when he finds out about you, Chris, does that matter to Chris? Chris doesn't care because Chris has found 
Chris has found the thing that he loves. And if, so think about it this way. When, when you like first stumbled upon like your, like when you were a teenager and you, you first heard uh, the Beatles White Album the first time, you thought this was just meant for you. You know, like you, you thought you discovered the most amazing thing ever. And then like you held it to yourself for a bit before you went and told somebody else. And then you went and shared it with your friends. So like if Chris stumbles upon you before somebody else does, that's even better sometimes because like they're going to feel like uh, this is something special. This is something even more special. And then when, when like suddenly it blows up, then they're going to be like, ha, I knew something before everybody else did. So why are lots of people not focusing on finding their Chris? Because they they don't even spend the time to know that that's what they're looking for. It it all goes down to chasing outcomes. Like if you don't know who you're, if you don't know what it is that you're trying to reach, then you can't possibly sell to the person that should have it. Okay, let's take somebody else in. There's a lady called El Jamie that I interviewed the other day. Okay, mm -hmm. so she 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 moved here when she was 15. Her parents sent her here from Azerbaijan. Mm -hmm. She didn't speak English, she didn't speak Arabic. She, she literally came on her own at 15. She now speaks English, writes English, Arabic, and everything else. She's a super smart kid. She's 25 years old, she's been here 10 years. She started off doing some blogging and for fashion and stuff like that and found it interesting. She was only young, so she started doing it five years ago. And in the last five years, she's created a following of 200,000 or something followers on Insta. But she's moved from fashion to beauty. Mm -hmm. She's built up that audience, and she now markets to that audience her website of makeup products mm -hmm. that aren't available here. So she gets them from France and London and Switzerland and the United States, and she allows, enables people to buy those products through her website. She isn't looking for her ideal client and marketing to those, she's marketing to her 200,000 followers. And she's making sales. Mm -hmm. What's she doing wrong? She, uh, so, she wasn't trying to sell anything uh, in the beginning. What she was doing was she was being authentically herself mm -hmm. and people connected with that. Mm -hmm. So now she's monetizing the fact that she has a following which is the Kim Kardashian way. And so the, I don't see anything wrong. I mean, she, she, there may be ways for her to monetize better. There may be ways for her to find ways to scale her current business, but I don't see, like, so the difference is some people are, have people that are naturally attracted to what you're doing automatically. And I've seen that a lot in fashion and beauty because people are always wanting to look better ever since Cleopatra, right? Mm -hmm. But if you are, if you have a story that people relate to, if you are authentic and transparent and just a beautiful light, there's so few of those on the internet that when, when that's out there, people follow. Like I have um, a person that I'm, I'm dear friends with and her Insta feed is just full of drawings, sketches that she does every day of Disney uh, snacks like that they sell in the Disney parks. And like she just did that for herself and she wasn't even doing anything. Like, and so, suddenly it built up a following and, and now Disney 
is following her and has employed her to, to like draw for their blog. And she was just doing that for herself. That was a hobby? That was a hobby. Okay. That's turned into a business by accident? Yes. Okay. A lot of these people out there uh, trying to build a business, and like we said at the beginning, and trying to build that business through getting followers and getting likes, mm -hmm. and think that that's important. And if you actually look at a lot of what is being produced in terms of photos and videos, a lot of it is just, yeah. I find it not even worth looking at or listening yeah. to. How do, how do you go about, so let's take that El Jamie as an example. Mm -hmm. so you get these, she's got these 200,000 followers, she's got this website, she's marketing these 200,000 people to this website, which is great, okay, and she's, she's getting sales. She will know from the analytics who the perfect client is mm -hmm. from the sales she's making. She could take that perfect client after understanding who it is, and then she could go market to the, those people yes. that aren't in the 200,000, yes. which is where she could scale it yes. much bigger. Absolutely. Okay. So if I find my Chris, I've just got to aim for my Chris all over the world. Yes. And market to Chris all day long for my retail university sale. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let me, let, let's talk about the corporate side of it then. Mm -hmm. So my corporate side is I sell sales training. So they get me plus they get everyone in, this, in the company gets the course. Mm -hmm. And I go in and I work with the company to help implement the training. What I find is that when people pay for something out of their own pocket, as the retail buyers do, they hold much more value to it. Mm -hmm. When you work for a company and you then literally have been told, right, you've got to take this course and study it because it will help you. You just better do what you're told. Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's way less engagement unless I'm involved. Because you've got, because we just get obviously all the information, and we know that some are really enthusiastic and like, yay, I'm going to learn. Some of them are like, oh, I've got to do this, so they do some of it, and then some of them are like, I'm not log not even logging on. How dare they? How dare they not know how good I am? You know. We, when I get involved in those types of companies, obviously that that the engagement grows because I'm there physically there. So there's no online, there's no no webinar. It's mm -hmm. me literally with those companies. Every company I find wants to improve their sales performance. Mm -hmm. There's none that don't. They have a team of salespeople, real estate brokers here, um, uh, a recruitment companies here, salespeople in, in financial services, insurance broking businesses, car sales here. They all want to increase their performance. If I wanted then to market, should I just blanket market everybody that has a direct sales force? No. So the reason for that is that uh, not Every company uh, is at the same level uh, mm -hmm. of their corporate yeah. life. So um, a sales team in uh, a startup is basically probably one person that's overworked and also has other roles that they have to play. A sales team for uh, Monsanto or like a very huge conglomerate uh, mm -hmm. is a completely different mm -hmm. ballgame. So you, what you need to do is, and while, while you do have a benefit for all of these guys, uh, you have to come up with a way to market to them that will make sense. So the person that's in uh, the startup, that's the guy that has multiple roles, he's not your customer because he doesn't have time to do this and he doesn't see the value. I mean, it would be more like uh, a company that has time to have a sales department of one or two people at least um, that they have performance bonuses that that would matter 
where they would be arguing against each other or fighting with each other um, and where they would see the value because uh, if one person has a leg up on the other, then that's, that's definitely going to drive things home. So the company has to be at the stage where they're giving performance-based bonuses for their sales team. Mm -hmm. And I would be looking for, so I mean, that would be the demographic that I would be looking at, like the young and hungry kind of sales team level. In terms of numbers of salespeople, it doesn't matter in terms of the size, do you think, or, or does it matter? I, I don't necessarily think that the size matters, in fact, but it, it, I mean, for when you're selling to a corporate, the larger team size is better because obviously you can sell site licenses. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you can tie the results into performance reviews whenever you're selling anything, then that's even better because... Uh, so like a company that's large enough that would do annual reviews or quarterly reviews so that you can have some kind of certificate that like, okay, you can prove that this person did better because they took the certificate and, and therefore. So the, the more data that you can prove that shows for a company that they're a value for them to keep buying you for their employees, the better. And the more buy-in you'll get from employees because even if they're being forced to take it, they can see that they've gotten a, a bonus for the, the use of it, whether it's true or not, so. Okay, understood. Now, let me, I've got two things I want to talk to you about. First of all, data. This term came out a few years ago, this term called big data came out a few years ago. And when it came out, it was kind of like data's everything, data's the most important thing, remember data, you know, it, that's where the value is. And then it kind of, for me, the craft kind of went over a, a hump and it came back down where it became, less important and it wasn't talked about as much and people felt less about it than they do now. What do you think about the value of data? You work with companies, obviously we know some of those companies you work with. Is data critical like you wouldn't imagine and people couldn't even think about or is it just important and nice? Uh, data is absolutely important. Um, understanding your rights to the data that you're uh, giving up um, and making sure that you actually read the terms and conditions and privacy policies for the things that you're using is important. Um, and when you install an app, making sure that you know what the app is doing with your data is very important. But uh, for a from a company's perspective, having data is the difference between being able to, the easiest way to say it is to do really cool stuff and to not. So like you're going to either be in the dark ages yeah. or you're going to be able to be able to predict things about users and, and on a mass scale, like every, every day, yeah, every day we, we create so much data more in the last two years than has ever been created in the history of data. Like the wow, yeah, really, yes, and and that just keeps the gap just keeps closing. So like, the the amount of processing power on the planet right now is um, it reached a a nexus a few years ago that there are more cell phones on the planet uh, with their processing power than actually uh, the human brains on the planet can. So I mean like. Uh, I mean, that happened a long time ago. That happened like 20 years ago that like the processing power like surpassed the brain power of, of hum humanity. And uh, now we actually, uh, they just released a quantum wave uh, Nobel Prize, which 
like is leading towards teleportation and things like that. So without data, it's not possible to utilize any of this. So a company that is not that does not have a data plan for how to gather it, what they're gathering, how to protect it, and like what they're going what they're going to be using it for over time. Like I said, they're going to be in the dark ages. But companies that are are look, are forward thinking, hey, we, we're going to go to Mars. Incredible! Which amazing achievement are you most proud of? Oh, so that's that's actually a, um, <laughs> I, I think the amazing achievement I am most proud of is something that any entrepreneur out there would be. Uh, would understand, but it sounds very weird. Under <laughs> understanding, uh, so so I, like every other entrepreneur, I have a failed founder story. Um, for me, I was going to start a luxury cruise line, and it was uh, everything was going great. Uh, the market was looking great, and uh, had investment, everything. And then uh, in 2007, I noticed that there was a trend uh, of downward spending in the luxury market. So uh, I chose to uh, not go forward with, with that, even after putting five years of, of, of development into this, and gave the money back to the investors. And then the economy tanked in 2008. So my, my favorite uh, achievement was knowing to walk away from uh, what could have been the worst failure of my entire life. A lot of people don't have the wherewithal to do that. Yeah. Yeah, so that makes a lot of sense. Now, a lot of people won't know this. I do, because we've got to know <laughs> each other. But you joined NASA at a young age. Uh, yes, so. So you were 13? Oh, no. No, I was 16. 16, sorry, 16. Yeah. You were 16 and you joined NASA. Why? Did uh, you want to be an astronaut? I did. Was that really clear in your mind? I yes. want to be an astronaut. And you joined and you got into NASA. Uh, so training to train, yes. So I was, um, I wanted to be an astronaut, but unfortunately I can't go into space, so did not make it through. But it was the, but I wanted to be an astronaut from, like a lot of people wanted to be an astronaut when they were kids, and I got there. So that was. What did that experience prepare you for? What, what, what I mean, you went in there, you, you wanted to be when you've gone through training, for whatever reason you're not allowed to be. What did you learn? One, that not completing something doesn't make you a failure, which is very, very important. Mm -hmm. I, I learned, I mean, like, you, you cannot un, uh, understand how much that, is, that has changed my life knowing that. Because so many people, like, if they, if they don't finish something, then they think, that's it, they're done. Um, another thing that it taught me was that, like, nothing's off the table. Like, you want to go to space? So what? Go ahead. Why not? So, like, when I'm coaching people, because I'm also a coach, yeah. like, somebody's, somebody came to me and their lifelong dream was to be on a game show. And so the first thing I said to them was, okay, what do you do next Tuesday? And like, because I like as they said that, I was like popping up the website to see when the next slots were available to be on that game show. And then the two of us got a, went on a road trip, and they were on the show the next Tuesday. Because it's just if, if people have blockers in their minds, and I, 
Like that took all the blockers out. Where do you learn those experiences? Where, where, where do you learn those answers? I know you and I are both fans of Tony Robbins and have experienced Tony in different ways and various courses and have gone externally to learn ourselves. But where, where do we get to deal with those self blockers? Where, because I find that you know, doing what I do, a lot of people have such limiting beliefs. Yes. Their, their, their biggest problem has got nothing to do with the world. Their biggest problem, and it's so bizarre, but it's in probably probably 95% of the examples I work with, the biggest problem is themselves. Absolutely. Um, well, we all have limiting beliefs, and uh, I absolutely have limiting beliefs that I'm, like, as soon as I notice one, then I have to start working on that one, too. Some of them I hold on to, like, <laughs> no, you're not getting rid of that one. But it's, I mean, I, you have to run through the, like, does this serve me a filter. And I think that the the best way is not to to force people to change or not not to try to force people. Like, because for for somebody like you and me, it's so easy to be like, "Look, the world is so great. Come and join us over here." But as a coach, I always tell people that like, if you're starting to ask the question, then you can continue and start like, and and then I'll give people resources like. I'll send them to different places, like send them to coaches and, and things like that. But if they're not even asking the question yet, then they're not ready. And they're just, some people never want to grow. Some people are happy where they are, and if they're happy, then let them be. The one, see, I, I agree. The ones that are happy where they are, I actually encourage them to stay there yeah. if they're happy where they yeah. are. But I find that most people, most people aren't. They aren't happy where they are. They don't know where they want to go, or they do have an idea where they want to go. They just can't work out how on earth they're going to get there. And so it just seems all a bit too much. Yeah. And because it seems all just too much that, oh, I might as well stay where I am because there's no way possible. I don't deserve it. I couldn't possibly be it. That, that, that won't happen to me. And it's like that, that they give up before they even try. Right. And that's not because they want to be there. It's just that it's just so daunting. You know, if you went, if I said to said to a hundred people that I know, how about let's go to NASA and train to be astronauts? Oh, they none of them would go. No, no, none yeah. of them. They'd be like, you, you're joking, aren't right. you? Yeah. Okay, you've had experiences where you understand that. I have too. How do you get that person that's, that's, that wants to be better than you are now, wants to achieve something you haven't achieved yet, but you're quite intimidated by what's involved to get there or the thought of what's involved is just a little bit too much to even, even get your head around? So the, the way that I do it is, like I said, you cannot push yourself onto someone that doesn't want to be moved. If they're not already asking the question, then, then you can't answer it for them. But you can be out there. You can be like you're doing a Facebook Live if somebody happens to stumble upon it, and then now they're curious. Now they're going to go out and start searching. If they choose to open themselves up, then that's, that's how you can get in. So you, you yourself, if you want to help somebody else that you see, that you have the assumption that they are not happy, that you have the assumption, because that's, that's how you feel, that's yeah. not necessarily how they feel, yeah, yeah. that they are stuck in their limiting beliefs, then, then you can be out there and you can tell your story and you can be authentically you and be a beauty blogger or tell 
uh, your story and teach them sales and teach them tech and speak about going to Mars and things like that. And, and if people are then interested in, in that, or, or maybe it sparks something else in them, but then they start to ask the question and then they find their way. You've done some TED Talks. Yes. Do you enjoy them? No. <laughs> Why? Do you not enjoy public speaking or do you um, not enjoy TED Talks? Or? I do a lot of public speaking. Um, TED Talks are a lot of work. You have to do something, you, you have to be happy birthday level memorized of your TED Talk. Not just with the speaking, but the blocking and uh, everything. So it's, it's probably about a six month process uh, before giving a, a high quality TED Talk like, like mine. Um, so, I mean, some of them are of lesser quality, and if you're watching any of the TED Talks out there, you can tell the difference between the people that haven't prepared and the people that are prepared. And uh, so it, it's, so I've done two so far, and they, they were very time-consuming, and I just don't have that much time to prepare for them. It's not that I can't do them. It's not that they don't turn out well. It's that um, I would r much rather do the other types of, of speaking that I do because I feel that I get a better benefit um, or that the crowd gets more of a benefit from it. You, you market your services as uh, a CTO, mm -hmm. you market your services as a coach. When you look at what you do in your professional life, what is your favorite thing to do? Well, I mean, being the trusted advisor CTO role is, is very fulfilling to me because then I can come in and help people create, bring their ideas to life. So I really do enjoy doing that. And, and, but I really love writing. And that's something that people don't really necessarily think about me at, at first. Um, they're like, well, wait, she's an engineer and she writes? And, uh, but I do. I have, um, I have a column for Inc. Magazine. And I actually have a degree in literature. So I didn't know that. Uh, about industry-related stuff, or you uh, write romance novels? Uh, no, industry-related things. Okay. I have a book that I, that I wrote. It's not published yet. But, so it, and, but the thing is, I use a... I, I try to use a voice that translates co difficult concepts for people into um, much easier to understand things. Like today, my article was about Bitcoin because nobody understands blockchain. So I was trying to actually explain it in a way that people would get it. And even then, it was still partially confusing to people. But finally, people were starting to understand, uh, like, oh, so this is something like that I can start to, to understand. Because there's so many things out there that are complex, like this Nobel Prize for quantum waves. Oh, that means we're going to get teleportation someday. You know, that, that kind of thing. Like being able to give you the, the pre of of things is uh, something that I like to do. What do you do when you don't work? What's, what's your kind of interest in your downtime? Are you one of these chicks that's just kind of really, just, you're just lucky because you love what you do and you get to experience that in a, in a you, know, you travel all over the world, I know you yeah, do. Yeah, you know, so yeah. And whenever I, I see you, it's like, oh yeah, I'll be in Vegas for three hours, yeah. you can catch me then type of thing. So that's what I do. I mean, I travel and that's the thing that I love the most. And I think I collect people as well because I get, I have a family <laughs> around the world. Which is, which is wonderful because everywhere I go, I get to, to meet new people and, and spend time with wonderful people like you. And I travel and I love food, so I get to have wonderful food and experiences. And, and that's, that's, that's what kind of feeds you in here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. Yes. 
so there you have it my interview with heather wild uh, i really hope you enjoyed it it was worth the time and you learn a lot more about heather's story her industry and it made you feel you know that you could use some of this knowledge that she's got and sharing with us to help you about your business so a little more about how this interview came about. I want you to know that I met Heather, as I, as I may have said earlier, at an event in the Santa Monica in Los Angeles last year. And at the event, she was a speaker and so was I. And I listened to her speak. And I know I was speaking after her. And once I, she finished speaking, I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to get on stage and speak now. She's just so brilliant and so bright. Um, I remember during the interview thinking how much more there was to her story and how much it revealed about her industry and her life and, uh, and how kind and welcoming she was. You know, something about the energy uh, that you feel during the recording. It's just, you know, sometimes you feel great energy from people and she's got great energy. I see Heather uh, on a regular basis since I interviewed her because we do some work together. So it was great, you know, after, after interviewing her, then we decided that there was some work we could do together. That, that's how impressive she was. We employed her to do some consulting work in one of our companies. So I've got to know her much better since then. Some of the key takeaways from me from the interview, I think when she went to NASA and she trained to be an astronaut and because of a medical condition, she couldn't become an astronaut and realizing that not, not not achieving that wasn't exactly failure she, she couldn't finish her training and so you know it, she said it doesn't make you a failure if you've not completed something and I thought that was really cool to know as well I hadn't known that she studied at Cambridge University she had a degree in literature there was something else she's always adding little things to these key takeaways that I've got you did this you did that you did that but also how she walked away from Evernote when it got to 100 million users you know she she'd built a company and she was a founding member of Evernote. She built a company, obviously not on her own, from 5,000 users to 100 million users. And when she got to 100 million, she walked away. She said, I've achieved my goal. That's what I set out to do. And she walked away. And for me, that was a really brave thing to do. So there was a real key takeaway from me there. And I think that understanding, this is an area that I think so many of us get wrong, is that we, we, we don't study enough and understand in enough detail how data science really applies in our business. It's just kind of a, a complicated subject that we shy away from, but data science can really help you narrow in and identify your perfect client for your business. And to be honest with you, that was just such an important moment for me, probably the most defining moment. And that's probably why we then decided to do some, do some work and get a consulting for us because she genuinely is very talented in that area. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you've got any other feedback, please drop me a note on social media. But either way, it's entirely up to you which way you want to approach me. But you can find me on Instagram or Facebook. Or, of course, you can find me on LinkedIn as well. So it's at Spencer Lodge. Um, on Facebook, it's Spencer Lodge Official. You'll find me there. Please drop me a line and let me know what you have learned from the show and the value you think it would bring uh, to you and your business. You know, and if you're feeling extra, extra generous, maybe you could give me a five-star rating on iTunes. And if you're listening to this on SoundCloud, maybe you could do me a favor and just leave me a comment on SoundCloud about what you think of the show and if it's valuable to you. Coming up on the next podcast, I've got another exciting guest on the next podcast, a French national team soccer player, football player, a Manchester United player, an Arsenal player, a Werder Bremen player, an Inter Milan football legend, somebody who really has played at the top in football for many years and been incredibly successful. Mikel Silvestre is on. Um, 
you should really be excited to be listening to this next interview that I do because Mikhail has got a lot to say about what goes on, not just in football, but also when footballers retire and how their lives pan out and how so many of them go wrong and down the wrong path. And actually, after earning all the money they've earned, end up with very little. So uh, he's really, really, really excellent to interview. A lovely guy, very open as well. And f- considering he's a, he's a football legend, uh, to have him on the show was a real joy and a real pleasure. Look out for that at the next one. But if that's all for now, I wish you luck and I'll catch you soon on the Spencer Lodge podcast.